Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Allison Richards, a Toronto filmmaker whose credits include writing The Sublet and producing Pat Mill's first two features, Guidance and Don't Talk to Irene. She reunites with Pat for her latest project, The Retreat, which she wrote and produced, and which stars Tommy Amber Peary and Sarah Allen as a couple who go to cottage country to help friends plan their wedding, only to find themselves running for their lives from a cabal of vicious murderers. It's a queer twist on a classic survival horror premise, and it works really well. It's available on VOD right now pretty much everywhere. Allison picked The Goonies, Richard Donner's beloved 1985 adventure comedy about a bunch of small-town kids and a family of crooks all chasing after a legendary pirate treasure. Written by Chris Columbus from a story by Steven Spielberg himself, packed with gifted character actors and really energetic kids, it's basically a perpetual motion machine ricocheting from one set piece to the next like a sugar-coated Super Bowl. It's wild, it's chaotic, and it is absolutely beloved by people who watched it at just the right age. So let's plunge in. This is someone else's movie. Yeah, so I was thinking about what movie to pick, and I had a horror movie picked out. And then over the weekend, I was watching, uh, we were trying to find a movie to watch with my kids. So I've got so a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And we were trying to find a movie to watch, and we picked The Goonies, which is a family favorite and one of my old-time favorites. And I was watching it, and I was like, God, this movie is so fascinating. Because I feel <laughs> like it, it stands the test of time. It's also, you know, it's a general audience family kid movie that opens with somebody, you know, a shot of a guy who has hung himself in prison and them escaping from jail. They swear there's like some dick jokes that actually kind of work. Like there's a bunch of things that for, um, you know, again, for a family movie, you just wouldn't see today. But I feel like it's the ultimate adventure film and you know for somebody who grew up watching this movie as a kid to then share it with my kids I just find it such a fun um you know in some ways obviously there's flaws but in some ways it's like this perfect adventure film about the biggest group of underdogs and then it also simultaneously is so 80s including (laughs) the fact that there's like a Cyndi Lauper music video of her singing about the Goonies embedded in the movie like it's just it kind of has it all so then I was like I should talk about the Goonies I could talk about the Goonies all day so yeah how did the kids take it they love it this is not their first time seeing it and they think it's they think it's uh you know they think it's they think it's so fun they think it's great it's just pure chaos I mean revisiting it uh, I was, I was, we, before we started recording, I, I showed you the ridiculous 25th anniversary box set that I have. And that's because I interviewed Richard Donner for it, uh, when that came out. So in, this would have been 2010, must've been in the fall of 2010. Cause the, the, the big takeaway, the two takeaways I will, I will share. The first one is I don't think he likes it. I think Amazing. the experience, <laughs> yeah, really? I think the experience of it was so, frenzied and messy oh. he was complaining about the sound like he was complaining about not the soundtrack but the recording of the sound because and i think the quote is you have all these kids screaming at once and they just kept screaming louder like he sounded uh he sounded tired 25 years later thinking about the making of the movie i that is that is a that is fascinating i love that because you know what my uh my nine-year-old was like I wish they would slow down. They're talking so fast. I wish oh. they would slow down. And you could almost feel the excitement of that group of, you know, kid performers just, just going for it. And they all, you know, 
seem like very big personalities. So I can imagine it would just be chaotic. Yeah, I can feel it even now watching it again. It's just the camera seems to be trying to keep up with everybody. It's it's like 10 years before they figured out the little trick in Jurassic Park, which is you move the camera a second after the CG moves because it looks like a cameraman is trying to keep up with an unpredictable creature. But these kids are, they're all velociraptors just running over each other and and flailing around. The, the other thing that uh, Donner talked about was that he has a decent relationship with the kids. Like he stayed in touch with most of them. And that was really sweet because it doesn't sound like he was the best guy to be working yeah. with. Like it just sounds like he went into his trailer and cried at the end of every day. Oh gosh. Well, I think that would be, I, I made a short film uh, that was uh, set at a kid's birthday party in a backyard. And it seemed like that was going to be easy. And it was so hard to shoot <laughs> because the same thing, we had 20 kids who were all at a party eating cake. And we, you know, we, we, we lured them by saying, it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Come and work for free on this short movie. And yeah, it was just by the end of the day, I cannot imagine doing it for however many shoot days they must've made the Goonies for. And this was a long shoot. Like this was a big complicated movie with multiple locations and props and sets and sound stages and live it. And just, it is, if you tried to explain it to people, even when Stranger Things came out a few years ago and I used the Goonies as a metaphor, not a, not a re- like it's grounded in like the Goonies meet Firestarter basically. But if you try to explain what the Goonies is, you sound like you're hallucinating because it, the yeah. scope of it is massive. It's massive. Like, and again, you know, that was something I watching it, you know, as a kid, you never think about that, but just even rewatching it over the weekend, just the, 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 the sheer production volume of that, like the amount of set pieces, there's that water slide, which you can only imagine where that was. And I heard, and you might know this, but whether um, uh, the pirate ship, I heard that they had built that and then they tried to donate it to somebody, but no one would. So they ended up scrapping it, which I think yeah, is so unfortunate because how many people would love, like, you know, I know. Would love that'd be so huge right now if you could do that. If you go visit the the pirate ship from the Goonies. Oh yeah, it would be, a, it's, it's like a I mean, now it would probably fit in the Smithsonian. Like it would be that kind of revered artifact, but even. Absolutely. Yeah. In 1985, when theme parks were like, they're nowhere near what they are now. They're still, they were still pretty big. I can see the Goonies being dismissed probably because also it wasn't Disney or Universal, neither studio owned it already. So they'd be less interested, but yeah, the idea that you have this, you build this thing and it was what hook was like six years ahead there. They could have, they could have kept it around long enough to do another Spielberg production on a ship, but no, they, they just could not make it work. Yeah. So they just scrapped it, which is so sad. Yeah. And yes, you have, not only do you have a complicated production, but the story, I mean, every kid has a B plot. Every character has something going on. The thing with like, the, and then there are these weird romances that have to sort of happen between people we've seen for all of three seconds before. And, and the Fratelli family is, they have their own, like there, there is a Fratelli movie that happened before this film starts. Like there's a whole story and a whole culture that we just get, we're not even introduced to it. It is thrown at us in the first, I, I, I saw it theatrically in 85 and it was a very exhilarating experience for a, what was I, 15 year old, 16 year old, mm-hmm. but it was just like, even then I could tell I was a little too old for it because the kids in the audience with me were just screaming and laughing and I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to figure out how like my little critic brain is going, well, how does this fit into that? And the whole point of the Goonies is that you should really stop trying. Oh, no, it, you, it's just, it's just 
pure, uh, ridiculous pleasure. You know, like you have to just kind of surrender to this underdog story. Even, I mean, you know, like there's the fact that they end up at that, the wishing well makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many plot points that just don't quite add up. Um, But, you know, and maybe, maybe my, my love for it, my nostalgia for it is because I saw it as a kid. And so it has this sort of special place, but, and then again, seeing it last weekend with, with my kids and just seeing how much they loved it. But I, I, I loved this you know, in an era too, where, um, uh, there's so many things that I think like there's so much freedom for the kids in that movie. Like they just go on this, like there's no adults. They just go to, and it, and it's, there's so much danger for them, which I think <laughs> it's also like, you know, I don't think you see that in, in kid movies to the same, like live action kid movies. I don't think you'd see that today. Like there's so many parts of this that you just wouldn't see. Yeah. The, the idea of actual peril, for children, you know, like every one of those kids is going to need a tetanus shot or three by the end of this adventure. And the sense that people could be, you know, mutilated full on. The Fratellis are dangerous. There, there's, there's a car chase. Like they're not, this I, is not E.T., right? Where everything is tender and gentle. And then there's an adventure at the end. This is just a, a, a burst of, like, it's a marathon. It's a marathon of sprinting. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's, I, yeah, I agree. It's a total marathon and I can't, I mean, not only, you know, will they need a tetanus shot, but the, I mean, the kids are getting shot at with guns <laughs> by grownups. Like, and I, to this day, never make a smoothie or use a blender without thinking of the scene <laughs> where they take <laughs> the kid's hand and they're trying to get him to confess and they try to shove it into the blender. Like I, every single time I make anything with our blender, I think of that scene. Yeah. And I love too how he just starts confessing everything, every little moment of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in character still, right? Like it's still rooted in character, even though, yeah, there's so much going on and the thing, like it's, it's like a whirlwind of archetypes. Some of them are a little racist. Some of them are a little insensitive, but the kids keep pushing through like, Chunk and Data are marginal characters, but they're not marginalized in the way that they might be in this, like in, in another 80s film. I mean, I think about something like Revenge of the Nerds where it's just openly hateful of anyone even slightly different. And The Goonies is about the differences, right? Like it's, it's actually, it's, it, there's goodwill going through it, even though like the kids are, these, the relationship these kids are forging is being forged in the most horrific conditions. And, they're going to have nightmares about it and, and require a great deal of therapy, but it is about finding a family. It is about bonding with people because of the differences and not be, because of the similarities. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny because Revenge of the Nerds was also one of my favorite movies as a kid. And that one has aged from my perspective, so incredibly poorly. Oh, so yeah. I think, you know, the Goonies certainly has a fair amount of you know, it's, it, it, it certainly has its problematic issues from watching it with, you know, a 2020 lens, but sure. uh, Revenge of the Nerds, that's a whole other, there's like 17 essays that <laughs> can and should be written about the problems with Revenge of the Nerds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I'm just thinking of it as a contemporary example, although they are completely different audiences too, right? Like Revenge of the Nerds was rated R and was absolutely not for small children. Yeah. But it was that, it, you know, uh, it, 
it, it is that idea of like, you know, they, the nerds are the underdogs, the Goonies are the under, like the Goonie underdogs. So it is, it's funny that they've just aged in a very different way, but yeah, the art comedy probably is a big factor. Yeah. And, and the kindness too. Like, I think, I think the Goonies is generally pretty, um, it's not like, it's, I was going to say non-judgmental, but that's not true. The Fratellis are bad people. And we know that because they're comic book villains who do horrible comic book things and also they beat up their poor deformed sibling which is yeah. like becomes the, one of the other underdogs who celebrated you know <laughs> yeah but that's it right like sloth um sloth is an adult and there's some weird it's the it's the it's the thing that no one really thought about too hard at the time i suspect the whole well you know he's childlike he's innocent uh and he's it's, it's the frankenstein monster right they're they're really just incapable of dealing with the world the way the world responds to them is frightening and so they become more brutish and frightening but what's going on in the goonies like it it's hard is in the right place on that relationship and it shouldn't work like even watching it again i just thought every one of these scenes requires these actors to nail it like just mm-hmm. nail it and the kid playing chunk gets it and john matuzic under all of this makeup is somehow trying to do something genuine and Donner is giving them the space because I know he worked with them. Like he always worked with his actors when he when he made a movie. And those scenes should be unwatchable. And they're even then, like they should have been just really broad comic messes. And he's trying for something and it gets there. I like I was kind of in awe of it this time through. That I I, I completely and totally agree with you. And that was my experience. It's it's funny. That's why I got so excited over the weekend. I was like, I want to talk about the goodies because rewatching it again, it was just even the scene where, um, you know, he's in the freezer. One of my favorite lines is when he's in the freezer with the body and he's like, it's a stiff, but there's this whole sequence with the, you know, the kid in the dead body, which I would certainly file under things you should never do in a kid's movie. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't put a dead body and a kid together. It can't work, but they managed to make that whole thing really work. It's, it's, it's great. I'm sorry. I'm just racing through the cast list to make sure I don't leave anybody out. But I had completely forgotten to mention Martha Plimpton, who is, again, a grounding force in this thing. Because every adventure needs, this is going to sound like a stretch, but I bear with me. Every Star Wars needs Han Solo. The ones that don't have a character who stands in the background commenting on how ridiculous all of this is and how dumb and people are going to get killed. The ones without them are the prequels, and they're terrible. The the movies that have Harrison Ford or Oscar Isaac to just poke holes in things before the audience can do it are the ones that I relate to. And I think the the ones with the strongest narratives and she is Plimpton is so good at this cynical, exhausted, world weary teenager that, you know, everybody knows one of them. And five years later, it probably would have been Winona Ryder. And 10 years after that, it would have been, I don't know, Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls or something like that, where, where, the audience surrogate is the least likely character. And I just, I mean, yes, Sean Astin is in this and Josh Brolin is in this. And there are a lot of actors who went on to do more stuff, but I just came back to her every time thinking like, how, how did she know she could do this? Like desperately seeking Susan hadn't even been released when she made this movie. This is just such an original, lively performance in the middle of this gigantic machine. Yeah, her her performance is so great. I mean, I I feel like 
Um, Pat Mills always talks about his favorite line from, from the unis being her line where she says, uh, I feel like I'm babysitting, but I'm not getting paid, Yeah, <laughs> which is so, which is so great. Um, but I think, I think the other thing that I found kind of refreshing about it is, I mean, you know, we've talked about sort of the couple of things that are questionable about it. I think the Andy character who's, you know, just the damsel in distress, who's just yeah. throwing herself at anybody and, you know, can't do anything. And is kind of screaming hysterically most of the time. I love that there's the Martha Plimpton to counter that character because I feel like, especially, you know, like she's, she's there as a fully formed character. And I, and I found that it was so refreshing to see that, you know, um, and she's just so funny. Like her deadpan delivery of stuff is just so funny. And her, the way that her and um, mouth just battle it out all the time, <laughs> the rivalry between the two of them uh, just adds so much comedic flavor. And again, can you imagine being on set for the different takes of those two going at it, you know, like <laughs> yelling at each other? Yeah. It, I, I imagine um, just, just a nightmare, just a, a, like a, an organizational nightmare too. Yeah. And, and that's what, like, that's what I mean. The, when I keep saying how chaotic it is, it's just like, how do you even cut this? I wish I'd we'd gone into that. We didn't have time uh, with Donner. I would have loved to know how long it took to put this thing together, how many alternates there are, how many different, um, you know, masters there must be for these things. Cause you couldn't, you couldn't shoot these things easily. No. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I would love to know. I mean, I, I sort of dug in a little bit and, you know, in thinking of, you know, trying to dig a dig a little bit deeper, but even just how many shooting days they had, like how long would they have been all together as, you know, there's some great photos uh, just on the IMDb if you scroll through and there's a bunch of them with with a woman who I, I'm assuming must be the tutor because it looks like they're in a classroom and thinking oh, yeah. like, oh yeah, they would have had a school for these kids. Like they would have had, you know, because it must have shot for months. Um, yeah, what like what were California labor restrictions for children? Was it four hours a day at the time? Yeah, so even just you- that and how you would balance it, like the, you know, the shooting schedule would be so complicated. Uh, yeah, so I think um, it would have been an interesting one. And a, a logistical nightmare that only someone like Steven Spielberg could even get made at the time, I think, because the kid wave hadn't really kicked off. You know, Teens and Adventure was the big thing in 84, 85, 86, but this would have been put into production in like 1983 before Gremlins and or when Gremlins was still shooting. And it's such a, yeah, again, how do you even describe it to people? I can't picture the pitch meetings without thinking only like Spielberg in the background going, nah, we'll just make it. We don't, you don't, Chris Columbus can do whatever he wants. We're in this window. Let's <laughs> yeah. just let it happen. Yeah. 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 And what, do you know what the budget was as like relative to other projects at the time? Like it's cause I mean, it seems like it's a big budget movie. Like there's yeah. a lot going on. I always get these wrong when I guess at them. So I'm just going to look it up I'm gonna cheat and just look it up. I think of the the um, you know the line items for just the production design elements alone, like just building those sets. Well, the octopus, right, which we don't even see. Yeah. But the the legendary deleted scene with the octopus, which still somehow gets referenced in the movie, and no one blinks, which I love. Just the fact that somebody says, "Oh, the octopus was the worst part." It's like. <laughs> so true it's so true yeah. and then yeah yeah it's great and it's I also I I don't know if you've ever seen the deleted scene but I, I I just can't understand how 
it would even work. I even yeah. can see why they would have cut it. No, it, there's yeah. a reason it didn't make it into the final film. Yeah, it's just yeah. At a, at a certain point, you're just overstuffing overstuffing the cake, right? <laughs> there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot going on already. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. Wikipedia says uh, 19 million dollars, which is not inconsiderable for the time, but lower yeah. than I would have expected. Yeah. yeah, certainly, certainly that. Yeah, I don't know what that would be in uh, 40 years later money, but. <laughs> so, oh, so it's got to be, it's got to be something equivalent to like 120 or 130, yeah, maybe for all of it. And um, but I guess none of the cast was, you know, at the time. I don't think any of them. Yeah, I mean, hadn't even really done anything. I mean, they were a bunch of kids, right? Like, I don't think they that I don't think the cast budget would be that significant. No, I get. I mean, the biggest the biggest name. I mean, Josh Brolin was the son of somebody famous. Yeah. Um, Carrie Green wouldn't have been. I mean, Kihui Kwan was probably the biggest. Yeah, because he'd already name. done Indiana was, Jones. Yeah, the year before. Yeah. But no, I don't. I don't think there's anybody else. Like Anne Ramsey hadn't popped yet, really. Robert Davi and Joe Pantoliano were kind of character actor guys, also really yeah. young too. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's the other thing I noticed from watching it now, <laughs> just how young everybody looks. Um, but that, I mean, I think that also is sort of symbolic of the underdog nature of that movie, for me at least, that it's, you know, because it, they're also, it's kind of a bit of a ragtag cast, right? Like it's like the Fratellis, they're just great. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, oh, and Sean Astin was also the son of somebody famous. I totally forgot about that. His parents are... Patty Duke and John Aston. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. and Brolin together, it's like, that's just some weird casting. It felt like an in-joke at the time. Yeah. But, but they're great. They're, they're, they're great together. There's that lovely scene on the porch. There's another one of the moments that kind of sticks out is when when um, uh, the, you know, the bad rich guys come to make them foreclose on the house and, right. and they leave and they're sad about leaving the goondocks. And then... Uh, Sean Astin is sad and then Josh Brolin comes out and just basically pick, gives him a hug and then drags him. Do you know that scene? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I always wonder if that was scripted or if that was just something that they that they did in the moment because it just it just felt so, so naturally odd. Yeah, and that's exactly why I think the film stands out because it's the kind of thing that there were little moments of eccentricity that are peppered throughout it that feel real even when everything else is completely outsized and ridiculous like, just something about the like the tactile nature of data's gizmos and all those weird things feels like yeah a child did that it doesn't feel like a production team came up with the device it feels like a kid slapped it together and there's a a messiness to the storytelling that also matches that like the film is slick and beautifully lit and, exp and it looks expensive clearly but um feels like a story being told by children. Maybe that's why kids love it so much because it is just, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And all oh, the octopus was the scariest part. Like you just, by the end of it, you get to the point where, you know, if the kids are telling this, like, this is the, the only thing missing is a framing device where the kids narrate the story to an authority figure who doesn't believe a word of it. Like, Which you have oddly with the, the blender scene, right? That's when Chunk is telling his life story. Yeah. Just, yeah rattling it off it's like that's kind of the movie and i find to your point about it just being like so kind of frenetic like i find by the end and even though i love the movie by the end when they all explode yet again for the for the you know 
19th hundredth time where they all get excited at the same time when they about the you know they find the gems and they're like don't sign the papers don't sign the papers they all explode even by that i'm like oh if this group has another like collective explosion of energy it's just you're kind of over it at that point like let's just let's roll the credits i love it but let's go it feels like the closest live action has ever come to a muppet movie Right. Like that sort of character energy. That's also just completely insane and spinning like a top all the time. Yeah. And I can think of like Martha Plimpton as a Muppet in the Goonies (laughs) is perfect. She's Sam the Eagle. Yeah. (laughs) Standing there with her wing on her head going, I can't believe I'm stuck here. This is happening again. (laughs) Like a babysitting, but not getting paid. Yeah. Uh, it's You know what it is? It's a Muppet movie, but they're all gonzo. (laughs) <laughs> it's true yeah totally like a flock of gonzos <laughs> a flock of gonzos now yeah. i want to see that band yeah oh yeah be a great band sign me <laughs> up <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to ask to um like everybody always sorry everybody who says they're a fan of the goonies says the same thing it's like i'd love to see a sequel and then they immediately say but i don't really want to Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you stand on this? Is there a world where a Goonie sequel makes sense or is this just not something the world needs? I definitely don't think it's something the world needs. Um, they sort of did one recently, which I think it's on Netflix and it actually has um, uh, Data, the actor who plays Data is in it. And it's, oh gosh, I should pull this up. It's like Oahu Avengers. It's set in Hawaii. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, it's basically, and I don't know if it's fully affiliated with the Goonies, but it's certainly, it's very similar. Like it's structurally, it's, you know, call to adventure. They end up inside, you know, a contained cave system looking for treasure. Um, And then again, the actor who plays Data is in it and sort of seems like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience. I think it's Ohana something, right? Like I thought it was, I was wondering if it was connected to Lilo and Stitch because of the word Ohana. Which means I'm family. not, I don't, I'm, I'm not well-versed enough in the Lilo and Stitch world to know if it's t- attached to that, uh, but it definitely has that. The other movie, and you know what, I only know this because I have young children who watch a lot of family movies, Sure. Uh, and I just desperately hope that they're ones that, you know, I can also enjoy to a certain extent versus being painful, um, but Dora the Explorer is also in the vein there's a live action Dora the Explorer, which oh, has yeah, that yeah. treasure hunting, like kids treasure hunting uh, sense. Okay. So if someone were looking to satisfy their Goonie sequel cravings, those are two that you could look at. But I don't know. I mean, it would be a cool assignment to have to think of how that could work. Because I bet there is a version of that movie that could be brilliant, but it would really need to nail it. Yeah, I can't. Like short of having chunk or mouth or data be dragged back in unwillingly, like you could do something about people forced to confront the kids they used to be. That could be really interesting, but I don't know how you tell the story with adults other than having to ruin their lives before the movie even starts. Right. Cause why would they bother getting back together unless there was some kind of redemptive thread I love it. So you're literally thinking it's the same gang and they end up back on another adventure together with the same, the same actors. Oh, it would have to be like to save their kids. They have to do something. That's the only way I can imagine it. That's what I was picturing that it was probably like their kids on an adventure and they're now the grumpy grown ups who are like, you know, 
maybe overparenting and doing sort of like the opposite of what their kids had, which was the the total freedom. The freedom, yeah. I realize too that what I'm pitching is hook, which I don't think we need to make again. So I'm fine. I'm off. You do yeah. your thing. <laughs> yeah, we're we're good. You build no, the pitch, no. and I will watch it. <laughs> Amazing. We'll keep thinking on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is absolutely no way to stitch this question into like the, the podcast always ends the same way, which is me asking if there's anything of the Goonies that factored into the film that we're talking about or uh, into your into your own work, into your and the retreat. No, uh, but if there's something that you've used elsewhere or anywhere. Um, I don't know. No, you know, it's funny because I think there's there's. Uh, somebody else asked me a question recently about, you know, what, what was the moment that I knew that I wanted to make uh, movies? Um, It was not the Goonies. They're sort of like the Goonies kind of represents the opposite of it. Like I loved, I grew up kind of, you know, the popcorn movies, the Goonies. And then I actually saw a screening of a Robert Maplethorpe documentary at the Bloor. And it was preceded by a short film called Blue that I think Don McKellar directed. I know Blue. Yeah. And there was a Q and A. And so me and my friend went, we like, you know, went and uh, at, there was a Q&A and all of a sudden these filmmakers who were in the audience stood up and started answering questions. And it was the first time where I realized like, whoa, like people, people make movies. Cause up <laughs> until that time, it was just this, it was as impossible as the plot of Goonies to make a movie, you know, until I sort of saw that the flip side of it. Um, so that is like a cheating way of answering that question and trying to somehow tie it in together. No, I like it. I think yeah. it works. But this is my first, this is the other one too. I was, I, I really, the movie that I was going to do was uh, uh, Revenge. Have you seen that film? The French film? Oh, um, uh, c'est là. It's right there. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That Curly was Farty. Yeah, which I love. Um, I, it's funny. I've, I've thought of so many different movies since, um, you know, it's always hard to pick one. It is, uh, I know. And I've done 300, and this is episode 342, I think, and they just keep coming. I'm amazed that people find stuff, and there's stuff that people haven't picked. Like, I would have thought the Goonies would have turned up years ago. I thought so, too. So I looked on your, on your like, I, I looked, in, looked at it, and the reason that I actually picked the Goonies was because I was, um, uh, I, I was in checking to see if Revenge had been taken, and then I saw that uh, Justin had done for Violation had done Back to the Future Part Two, and I was right. like, "Well, if he for Violation <laughs> can do Back to the Future Part Two, then the Goonies is okay." That was like the stamp of like, "Oh, okay, it doesn't have to be necessarily related to the film." <laughs> oh no, there are no rules. Yeah, I love I-, I like that. That works for my anarchy uh, spirit. <laughs> My thanks to Allison Richards, whose latest project, The Retreat, is now available to rent and buy on digital VOD platforms across North America. Thanks also to Guillermo Restrepo. He knows what he did. You can find Allison on Twitter at Allison M. Richards, all one word and Allison with a Y. And you can find The Goonies on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and streaming on Crave in Canada and HBO Max in the U.S. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host a bunch of podcasts these days, and I write the weekly Now Streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot. I'm saying that now. 
See you next time.